But again, just wanted to, to welcome you as our visitors. Um, and I pray that this morning's sermon will, will benefit you. This is intended on this specific congregation, but take the lesson for what it's worth and take it home to where you um, are among one of the, the saints and the work of God and in your congregation because the things that we are talking about I see as a weakness in congregations of God's people, at least in this country. And that's why I've, I, the, the family... We Are Family is the title. It's a series of lessons that will be given throughout the remainder of this year from time to time. But the focus really is on one aspect that I see as an indicator of church growth. And as I'll mention later on in the sermon, I'm not talking about number numeric growth. I'm talking about us growing in the Lord. And that's this concept of being vulnerable. Uh, it's a very sensitive not just sensitive word but actually a sensitive way of of living among saints and when we talk about this concept of vulnerability it's because when we look at the lord's church we can see practically speaking biblically speaking all the blessings of being in christ and in his body well when we look at these blessings think about it and we're not exhaustive by any stretch but i want you to get the concept of what it's like to be in christ's church as opposed to what we can see going on in the world. In Christ's church, we can read Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, where it says that he was uh, saving daily, you know, and adding to his church daily. And so we look at this, no longer are you condemned now, you have salvation. What an amazing blessing that God is looking at you, and he's not going to condemn you, rightfully so, righteously so, but through your belief in Jesus Christ and your turning to him, we call it obedience to the gospel, no longer are you condemned. It's a huge blessing. You talk about having a burden lifted. That's a huge one. Consider this as well. You're not alone. In so many ways, that phrase, you're not alone, is used. Number one, you're not alone because you're added to this body of believers. And there are people in this world that live hopelessly, and they feel so alone. When you're added to the body of Christ, you're not alone. You have people who share the fact that they are sinners saved from their sins. And that your sins that separated you from your God are no greater, of course, no less, than their sins that separated them from God. Instead of it's us I mean, instead of them mentality, it's not us. We're one. We're family. We just sang the song that was led for us by Dan this morning or just a few minutes ago about that very blessing that we have in Christ Jesus that we are one. In other words, you're in the household of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, right? You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens in the household of God. You think about that. That's a blessing that God has given to you. Now, as we look at these blessings, I already have in my, in, in my ear, metaphoric, since we're talking metaphoric this morning, <laughs> some saying, you know, I don't feel that blessing. Particularly that last one. I became a Christian, but I still feel alone. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but there's no doubt in my mind that maybe even at this very moment in this congregation, you're going to have a minimum of at least one individual says, 
I feel all alone. In the midst of what, 150, 200? I feel all alone. That happens. And so, Mitch, I hear you talking about the blessings, and I'm talking about blessings that God's word reveals to you that you have in Christ Jesus, that you have as being a part of this family of God. And when I'm talking about all the saved when I talk, talk about family of God, but now specifically within this quote-unquote church family, what we refer to as Franklin Church of Christ. I don't feel that blessing. I still feel all alone. And some may have felt this way for weeks or for months or for years. And that's the reality of, of what it's like in the body of Christ. So the blessing is there, but you may not be quote-unquote feeling that blessing. And so Christians don't always, and the reason why we don't have that is because Christians don't always live up to their calling, right? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, walk, Paul is beseeching his brethren to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you've been called. Well, we don't always do that. And by not walking worthy of the calling, this is what it may look like. We may judge one another. Like, for instance, this, this morning's class and last week, we're talking about aspects of the Holy Spirit that is controversial as far as a conversation. And for whatever reason, whenever there's controversy, sometimes it is part of the flesh that we hunker down in our corners. We get our metaphoric gloves, our symbolic gloves on, and we start sparring with each other. I'm going to try and beat you so that I'm the winner. And then we have judgments against each other. Oh, so half the church has gone liberal because they believe the Holy Spirit dwells in them personally. I'm judge. And the other's like, poor metaphoric brethren. I wish they could just get the truth about the Holy Spirit. We do that. And it's no wonder when you have that kind of mindset that we start biting and devouring one another. Because not only are we judging each other, look at all these things. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 20 says that takes place in the church. There's strife and jealousy, angry temper or tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, anger, I mean, arrogance. It goes on. Works of the flesh. And when we don't walk worthy of the calling, part of that lends to the fact that if we don't love each other as we ought, then we're not going to open up. We won't be this unified family. We can sing about it like we just did a few minutes ago, but not really live it. And it's no wonder Christians have difficulty opening up so that we could enjoy the fullness of what fellowship really is that you can read of in Acts chapter 2 from verses 41 through 47, where brethren had all things in common. You don't do that without this full sense of fellowship. Look at who you're close to. I mean, when I say close, I'm saying you're able to confide in or with one another. Things that, well, frankly, they cause you to be vulnerable. And you're willing to risk it because you trust this person so very much. And I've heard it over and over. 20, what, 25 plus years preaching, I've heard it. I, don't, I feel closer to people in my subdivision. I feel pe closer to people at my workplace. I feel closer to people at AA meetings. I feel closer to uh, people um, in my own family than I do my church family. I've heard it. That's because of these things. 
Here's the thing. I try my very best to be unbiased. I try to be as objective as I can so that we can call our weaknesses and our sins that we have individually and collectively here as a congregation. So individually as, as we are members in, as members in the body of Christ, but collectively about what goes on here at Franklin in our quote-unquote church family. Try to be as unbiased as I can, but maybe there's things that I'm blind to. It is my personal observation, and I say this as objectively as I can, that I see signs of growth. Areas that, that I saw as weaknesses are not as weak, or areas that are weaknesses that I see as strengths now. And the reason why I say that is because there's evidence of it. There's fruit. Now, mind you, I only have a six-year perspective. A number of our brethren, you've been here 15, 20, 25, or you've been here from before it was at this congregation or at this building site. You go back to Chestnut Lane, go back to Royal Heights. I mean, go back to West May. I, mean, I don't know if any of you are old enough to go back, <laughs> get further on. But you get the point. You've got a history, and mine is very minimal. So I'm sharing with you observations from the last six years. And that is, I see areas along lines of spiritual growth. And so, again, when I'm talking about church growth, I want you to turn, turn to this passage in Ephesians 4. I want you to look at what church growth should look like. So that when, we, when I use that phrase church growth over and over again, this is what should come up in your mind if you will, and not this concept. Notice I put the word church growth in asterisk because I'm going to share a little bit about this. Uh, I did not put up that thing that you're asking for, Phil, because the numbers are in my head. Um, and I want to share it with you guys. But I want you to look at what is being said in Ephesians 4. This is, for all intent and um, purposes, spiritual or church growth, as the scriptures reveal. So in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11, after he's talking about the spiritual gifts that Christ gives to his body, right, the church, he says, and he gave him, or and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry or serving, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love that's church growth that's what we ought to always be concerned about numbers mean nothing in and of itself they mean something from a standpoint that souls are being saved that and you can always rejoice in that but beyond that the real growth is, is not numeric growth, but growth in Christ. That's what we're interested in. And so we're not talking about that numbers, but spiritual growth. And we're talking about 
Christians who are growing, and this is, this is the part I want to focus on, growing out of our comfort zone and becoming more the type of Christians that we see in Scripture as opposed to what I have seen since I've been a Christian. And that is Christians that are comfortable sitting right in these pews and coming to a church service, maybe being so faithful as to sit in on a Bible study, so faithful as to partake of the Lord's Supper, and so faithful as to sing songs or to lead prayers or to be involved in a prayer and then hear a sermon and then go home. When I talk about getting out of your comfort zone, to get out of the mentality of what, for lack of a better term, I've heard it said before, I've used it myself, it's like a social club. That's how practically speaking, not in the mind, but practically speaking, it seems like many churches are. You come and you go through something, go through the motions of whatever it is, and we equate that with faithfulness. I say that because I've heard it with my ears, I've read it in bulletin articles, you know, in the journals, uh, heard the sermons, and, you know, that person is so faithful. They're always at every single service. And I think that's wonderful that they're faithful in their attendance at a church service. That's great. That does not equate with being faithful to the Lord. So we grow out of this comfort zone, get out of these pews, and we actually do the work of our Lord that takes place every day. I've seen that. In the, in the last six years. I mean, I remember when we first moved here, and I don't know if you guys picked up on it. All you have to do is listen to the sermons. They're all recorded. But over and over and over and over again, I was talking about evangelism. And not just evangelism, but who we evangelize to. Get out of your comfort zone. There's more than just your next-door neighbor. There's more than just your family. There's more than people at work. There's people who live lives that are outside of your bubble. Get out of your comfort zone. And I remember going to Williamson County Jail and trying to see if we can get Bible study set up. And lo and behold, Jim and Shirley, they show up. They're like, hey, we got opportunities to go to Davidson County. And all of a sudden, we see the sermons coming into practice. Because there are many that were saying, I don't want to just be in this pew, but I don't know what to do. And here's where an open door came where we could do things aside from whatever you do privately in your life. That's where I started seeing people get out of their comfort zones. That's when I got to hear Christians say, I used to think this way about this population of people, this demographic of our society. Now I have a much better perspective because I get to sit down with them and talk to them and share the gospel with them. And now I have a very different view of these very people that I myself would have condemned or judged for whatever the reasons are. Brethren, that's what I'm talking about, that I'm seeing more and more of. And one of the sweetest things, I don't see Miss Doris this morning. Miss Doris, probably not feeling well. Um, I remember what last year, about this time, when Miss Doris said, you know, I, I know you all have been going to the jail. I'm tired. How, I don't know how, I'm going to just bank on and forgive my sin if I'm wrong. 
Miss Doris is old. <laughs> and she will agree with me. So I can say that publicly. <laughs> she, she's older than I am. So <laughs> no, I mean, she's in her 80s. Maybe she's close to 90. She said, I'm tired of sitting in this pew. Her words to me. I'm tired. I want to do more. I want to do things that I haven't done in service to the Lord. What can I do? I said, come join us. There's this wonderful opportunity. And so she got certified. She went through training and everything. And to see her ever so slowly, kind of keeping pace with Flash, Mr. Mr. Jim, <laughs> kind of keeping pace with them. And they, they make their way. They go into the jail, spend time. And you know how encouraging it is, not just to us, but the people that we go to see in the jails? She's getting out of her comfort zone. Last year when I gave the, the Bible study, the special Bible study on sex trafficking, just the words, the title to that Bible study makes people uncomfortable. Then to talk about these things and ways that you can be involved in our communities to help this segment of our population that is swept under the rug. That is a forgotten part of our society, and yet this problem continues to grow here in Nashville, Middle Tennessee. I see some of you expanding your comfort zone, saying, what can I do to help? I see some of you expanding your comfort zones when you say, Mitch, can I go with you when you go and you, I, I know you go and talk to people who are homeless, people on the streets. And you try and, and talk to them about their souls. Can I come with you? I love that. I love that some of you were willing when we all got together to do that as a group. Just a group of people who call themselves Christians. Going into our community and, and showing a sense of love to them by helping them practically speaking in some small way. With the intention that maybe a door would be open to share the gospel with them. Brethren, it's not limited to these things, but it is inclusive of them. And that's what I've seen. And so you're getting out of your comfort zone. And so what I'm seeing is Christians who are not satisfied with just sitting here. Now, I'm not speaking for every single person because I don't know what's going on in your life. You might be in a season of life where you cannot do these things. And that's okay. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. But what I'm saying is there's signs, there's evidence, there's fruit that you can see where more and more Christians are getting out of their comfort zone. And I think that that's a sign of church growth. That's what I'm seeing in the Lord. What I'm talking about specifically right now for the remainder of this short sermon is the fact of opening up. I mean, when, when I share with you what are my weaknesses, so that when we read passages like James chapter 5, verse 16, which was just read for us by Ray, this morning just before the sermon right confess your faults or some translations confess your sins to one another the prayer the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much there's a blessing in doing that and the thing is you don't do these things unless you can trust to confide in someone you won't open up and say, you know, I'm struggling with pornography.
And there are brethren struggling with pornography. Please don't kid yourselves that in a congregation that just doesn't happen. There are men, maybe some women, Christians who struggle with pornography. It's a fact of life that it goes on. Research is there. It happens. People are honest. They're just anonymous about it. There are some in the body of Christ that struggle with prescription medication, with alcohol, or with illegal drugs. Addicted. There are brethren that struggle with adultery or simply with fornication if they're not married. These are very uncomfortable statements that I'm saying right now. But it's a fact, it's a reality. That these struggles are real within any congregation of size. The problem is, is if we just have these masks and we just look at each other and we don't even really know each other very well, it looks like, wow, we just got it all together. We look good. We're here. We got smiles on. We're sitting and we're singing praises to God and no problems. Church is perfect. Even though we verbalize we're not perfect, we may act that way. And so we've got these masks. What I am seeing and what I've been sharing for the last six years, one, to get to this point where it's, we're not just talking about, we're actually able to open up to one another. And brethren, one of the blessings of social media, which is very few, by the way, in my opinion, there are some blessings of social media. One of them is when we created our, our Facebook page, we have a public Facebook page and we have a private Facebook page. And in that private one where a number of you have opened up saying, I need prayers for such and such. Or when you send um, your email and it goes through Janice and you're asking for prayers and you've opened up and you've shared something that is causing you to be very vulnerable. I made contact ever within one split second with some of you right now because I, I'm thinking through what you specifically asked for because of your struggles Brethren, that's a sign that you can trust your brethren not to gossip about you. But to pray with you, to pray for you if they're not praying for you. Brethren, that is real growth. Because I don't see that in every congregation. I've been a part of congregations where on the surface, if you just look at each other's lives, there's, there's no problems. There's nothing to deal with. And I remember when I first moved to Franklin, I, I've made it very public, very obvious. I probably dealt with more one-on-one -on -one and publicly in one year here at Franklin than 15 years back in Georgia. Because just brethren had been much more open but even that was limited to what I'm seeing now where brethren saying, I struggle with these things. And some would say, Mitch, well, it sounds like the church is just, it needs to be more spiritually minded. No, it's brethren being real, being honest. I struggle with this aspect of my walk. And in other congregations, some brethren may do it, but many won't. I don't think that's healthy, personally. Not when you have passages like Galatians chapter 6, 
where we can actually go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, I love you. You're walking in sin. And I want to help you. I don't want to condemn you. I want to help you. I want to hold your hand and work through with this so that we can both walk worthy of the calling. Brethren, you just don't do that unless you have a close enough relationship. I guarantee you. Either that or you're or very calloused and cold and, and just like, okay, at, at a distance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you because I love you. You're saying, but that person receiving it may not feel that way. There's a lot of dynamics beyond just a few minutes of a sermon for that. But my point being is that when you fulfill passages like James chapter 5 where I, I confess my, my faults and my sins, my weaknesses that are very real struggles to me, I do it to you or to you as a group. That's a sign of growth. And I've seen that here. I don't see um, the Liskies here, but you know, here, here is Julie and Gordon fervently asking for our prayers as they have one son who struggles with his faith, right, Ben, having question marks. And to be able to do it so that I could react in a loving way as, through a sermon to deal with belief and a lack of belief or struggling with unbelief to a certain degree and by the way to make it very public it really helped Ben a lot it really did he's verbalized it that is helpful it was helpful to him to have that sermon because there was passages in the Bible that he was overlooking that helped him to see that hey just because I don't have a full conviction in other words my conviction and my actions don't always line up that doesn't make me an illegitimate Christian. Or to have them when, when um, they're asking for prayers because their son has left a treatment center. And instead of keeping it in-house, saying, brethren, I need your prayer. I covet your prayers. Share this with everyone you can so we can find my son. Or pray for my daughter because her best friend just committed suicide. This, all this in the last week, brethren. And it's not just the Liskies. There's a number of you that have said things publicly and privately. And I'm being very discreet. I can talk about the Liskies because I've asked um, both Gordon and Julie that I could use them as examples. My point being is that When this happens more and more, brethren, what we're seeing is evidence that we're getting closer to each other. And again, we always are going to have brethren that are, you know, because of personality types, we're more reserved. We're more introverted. I understand that. So some of us don't feel comfortable, no matter how close the family is. I'm keeping it to myself, between me and God. And so be it. But totality-wise, I'm seeing that. And that's evidence of church growth. That's because we're not just a group of people who are Christians and we call good people. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ in the family. And family members love each other and love on each other and get us through difficult moments as we walk together in the Lord. That's what I'm talking about.
In other words, it's okay to be vulnerable because that shows that we have a trust. We, there's this close-knit picture of Ephesians 4, verse 16. And when you're closely knitted to one another, and mind you, I cannot speak for you individually, but I'm seeing collectively, when you're closely knit to one another, we're seeing the fruit of it. I honestly believe, brethren, if we continue to do this, we're showing the fragrance of Christ. And that fragrance is very good. It'll make some brethren uncomfortable. It'll allow for other brethren to feel like, well, maybe I too can open up and say, you know what, I need help. Because I'm struggling with this. Just keep that in mind. Any congregation where you cannot open up because you feel like, if I were to share my weaknesses, it'll cause me harm. People would judge me. I've had those feelings. I, I know those feelings personally, and I know it's not limited to me because a number of you have shared that with me yourself. That's hard to deal with. It's hard to grow spiritually. It's hard to grow collectively as a congregation. But when you can, it is a definite sign of growth, and I'm seeing that. And I hope I see it more. I want to say this. I've got the invitation song coming up. Um, we're all sinners, every one of us. Just because um, we are a church family and things look good from the outside, that doesn't mean we don't have struggles. So we hopefully made that clear through this sermon. And interesting that I'm saying this, just had this discussion with Mike and Chelsea last night in, in, in lieu of the video that's coming forward in, um, in July. When I was talking to Mike about what I want to present, because part of what the package of the video is to help people who are interested in joining themselves, so we're talking about Christians, joining themselves to the work at Franklin. Because we have people that move into the area, people are looking at the possibility of joining themselves. That happens every month here at Franklin. And so I wanted a video along those lines. But the last thing I want is to portray this, like we're all perfect, everything is just great. Look at all these wonderful things and all of oh, that's a great church. I want it to be that with the fact that we're saved sinners. In other words, it's not like, well, I could never join that church because look at them, they all got it together. I'm not, I'll go to another church instead. That's intimidating. And and if you know anything about the people that we've gone to see, whether on the streets or in the jails, Franklin can be intimidating to someone who's lived a life of prostitution. You talk about you being intimidated of them? Try talking to someone who's lived a life of homelessness, and then they look at all this nice, beautiful clothing. It's intimidating. And you can go on and on with different things about the culture of what we have here we have families. They don't know their own family because they have such hatred for one another. They don't know what it's like to have close, loving families. It's intimidating. So I want it to be known for, for those who visit with us, those who are Christians looking to be a part of the congregation, aside from evangelism, that is. We're all sinners. We're all purchased by the blood of Christ. And I want visitors who are not Christians to know we're no better. 
We're saved. There's our difference. And you're not. You're only saved through the blood of Jesus. And that's where the preaching of good news comes in. Jesus died for your sins so that you would not be condemned. You would not be judged. The very thing that you hate being condemned and judged, that will not be held against you when you come into the kingdom of our Lord. And that is why there's this picture of the gospel, the good news in baptism, right? You die the way Christ died. He died for our sins. You're a sinner. He died for your sins. You're dying in the likeness of his death, right? You're buried in that watery grave called baptism here that we have in this baptistry, the way Jesus was buried. But death couldn't stop him from raising up because God promised he would raise up his son. And in the same way, that's the gospel, right? So that as you have, have died with Christ and were buried with him, you can rise to walk in newness of life, just the way he was resurrected from the dead. That's the picture of baptism in the gospel. And that's why Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Therein lies this picture. And so Jesus told his disciples, go make disciples baptizing them. Because those who believe that I am the Christ, those who believe that they can um, be saved from their sins, they're going to repent. They're going to walk away from their way of living and walk with me as their head because I love them and I will cause their burdens to be light. I'll forgive their sins. Do you see all the blessings? But it all started with the fact that we're all sinners. It takes you being vulnerable to say that. And hopefully that's the beginning of a relationship that you have not only with your God and with our Savior Jesus Christ, but with one another here in this church family or wherever you are in the world, for that matter, with the family of God. That's the gospel. And you're welcome to it. And you're invited to it. If you're here and you are wanting to become a Christian, by all means, I want you to come forward. Come sit right up here up front. Let me know. Let the whole congregation know you want to be a follower of Christ. That's what this invitation is for. Brethren, if, if you're struggling with sin and you've been hiding it and it's been weighing you down, it's a burden that Jesus never intended for you to have. We share each other's burdens. When Julie was saying, you know, I, I, I don't know if I even should ask this, I was so glad some, a number of you responded saying, by all means, that's what we're here for, just share each other's burdens. We'll pray with you. We'll help in whatever way we're able to. That's what family should do. So if you're struggling and you feel that burden and you want it released and you're asking for prayers, by all means, come. We'll pray right now before the service ends. Why don't you do that as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.